So Jesus' famous parable opens with an eruption of human narcissism. Childishly eager to taste life's pleasures, the younger prodigal son demands an early payout of his father's inheritance. This is an insulting request, humiliating to any self-respecting Jewish patriarch of the day. You are better dead than alive to me, the younger son is essentially saying to his father. So give me my share of your legacy now so that I can get on with my life without having to wait for you to die. The father would have been within his rights to cut the son off without further discussion. Yet moved more by generosity than prudence, the father gives what his son demands. Wasting no time, the younger son takes the money, skips town, and with the self-indulgent fervor of an addict, quickly spends it all on booze and women. Soon enough, he hits rock bottom, unable to feed or care for himself, dying of hunger, with nowhere to turn, at home. Is the young man genuinely repentant? Or is his return just one more cynical run at the father's extravagant generosity? It's hard to say. But in either case, the younger son comes home with his tail between his legs, a speech of apology in hand. Yet before he even gets to the old man's place, the father sees him coming up the road and runs to embrace and kiss his son, having forgiven him even before he asks. All the while, of course, there is the older brother lurking in the background, the dutiful one who has always played by the rules, worked hard, done the right thing, who is patiently waiting his turn to receive the Father's blessing. If you're like me, you share in his mounting anger and resentment as he watches little brother take advantage of the old man's naivete by squandering the family's money and reveling in cheap thrills, only then to be rewarded with the gift of mercy. It's easy to identify with the older son. From his perspective, the father's ridiculously excessive love for the wayward younger son is hard to comprehend. And so we can understand why the older brother screams at his father about the unfairness of it all, refusing to join in this misconceived celebration, even as the father pleads with him at the end of the story, son, please come in. You're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Come. Let us rejoice with the younger brother. Much of the dramatic tension in the parable lies in the lack of resolution at the end. Will the older brother get over himself and join in the father's joy at the return of the younger son? Or will he remain estranged on the outside, destroying himself in a hell of bitterness and resentment? convinced that his small sense of justice should take precedence over the father's expansive joy. At bottom, Jesus' parable is a story about two different ways of being spiritually lost. 
neither son, it turns out, is animated by a true love for the father and his goodness. Both are more concerned about their own plans for the family inheritance than they are about their father's wishes for a reconciled family. The younger son is lost in an inordinate desire for pleasure. He chafes at having to wait for his money, is dismissive of authority, and embarks upon a bold power play that defies all social decorum. His is a short-sighted and self-destructive strategy, one we may associate with the immature and impetuous lostness of youth. The older son, on the other hand, is a subtler case. He is lost in an inordinate desire for control. He appears more mature, but is in fact no less self-centered. Like his younger brother, his ultimate goal too is the family inheritance, but his strategy is shrewder, cloaked in respectability. He knows how to play the game. He lives up to expectations and does what he is told. But deep within, he is doing these things not out of genuine love for his father, but because he believes his own performance is the surest path to the reward he seeks for himself. To the world, he appears to be the perfect son and citizen, but he is secretly trapped in the prison of pride convinced that he knows better than anyone else what's what. The elder brother does not love the father. He loves himself and wants to be the father. Both sons are lost, just in different ways. The question, you see, is not whether we're lost. The question is whether we know it, or instead deceive ourselves into thinking otherwise. We are all lost. We all need to be found. We all stand in need of the embrace of a forgiving, forgiving father whose love is so ridiculously relentless that he will keep loving us despite our very best efforts to run from him or displace him or control him or to pretend we don't need him. Some have suggested that a better title for this parable might be the parable of the prodigal father. Maybe so. For the old man seems like a fool at first, letting his one son take advantage of him so blatantly and then forgiving him so effusively. But as Jesus' life itself ultimately demonstrates, there is method to this madness. For the father's aim, it turns out, is to teach his sons that it is the joy of life together and the reconciliation of all who are lost that is the real meaning of our lives and the real meaning of the parable. It is not about the money. It is not even about being morally right. It's about the relationships that bind us together as children of God. And sometimes the only way to get this message across to a deaf, blind, and dumb world is to embody love and forgiveness as recklessly as one possibly can, even for those who don't deserve it. Now, centuries after Jesus told this parable, 
the rabbis started telling a parable of their own. It is a story that picks up where Jesus left off and tries to reveal what human life might look like in a post-prodigal son world where the reconciling love of the father has its way. The story goes like this. <clears throat> Once upon a time, there were two brothers who were in the flour milling business. One of the brothers was married and had children. The other was single. They were equal partners in the business, and they made an agreement that at the end of each day, they would take an, any extra flour that had been milled and divide it into equal shares. And each brother would take his share home and put it in his storehouse. But one day, the single brother began to think to himself, here I am, unmarried, with only myself to care for, and my brother has a wife to support and children to feed. It isn't fair to divide the flower evenly. My brother should have more of the flower. So that night, he took some of the flour out of his own storehouse, and so as not to embarrass his brother, he went under the cover of darkness to his brother's storehouse and secretly left the flour there. It just so happened, however, that at the very same time, the other brother began to think, here I am with the richness of a family. I have a wife, I have children, and my brother has no one to take care of him when he gets old. It's not fair to divide the flour evenly. My brother should get more. So he took some of his flour and under the cover of darkness, slipped it into his brother's storehouse. Every night, unbeknownst to the other, each brother did this, always amazed the next day by the mystery that somehow the level of flour in the storehouses never seemed to diminish. Until one night, their arms laden with sacks of flour, they bumped into one another in the darkness. And they realized what had been happening. With tears flowing down their cheeks, the two brothers embraced there in the darkness, overcome by the love that had led them to this place. According to the rabbis, when God saw this, he touched that spot on the earth, and he said, this is where I will build my house. This is the new Jerusalem. This is the heavenly city that has always been my prayer, my hope, and my dream. Let it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.